One of the things that I love about that song, it moves from the Lord is my salvation to the Lord is our salvation. There needs to be that personal relationship with Jesus where we can say He is my Savior, my salvation. But then we gather together as believers and we sing the Lord is our salvation. It's not just Jesus and me. There are some people who want to isolate themselves from the church. It's just Jesus and me. I'll worship Him in nature. We gather together. And the psalm that we look at this morning gives us that great invitation to come and to let us sing for joy to the Lord. We've been looking at uh, some of the psalms. Uh, we gave the title to this series, Sampling the Psalms. This is the last one we're going to look at, uh, Psalm 95. Would you open your Bible to Psalm 95? O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship And bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said that they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the salvation that you have provided for us in Jesus, the one who came to die, to rise again. We have just celebrated those great events in Holy Week. And Father, we thank you that we serve today a a living, risen Savior who is working in the lives of his people even today. So Father, we pray that you would guide us now as we open your word. Uh, Teach us what it means to worship you today. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Every Bible-believing Christian agrees, or ought to agree, that worship is a vital part of the Christian life. In fact, we've been saved, we've been created to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But how we worship uh, sometimes becomes a a source of debate. Would you agree? (laughs) You can find all kinds of expressions of worship in many different churches. And so we, we, we kind of question sometimes, well, what does it mean to worship and, and how are we to worship? Should we worship with joyful exuberance or should we worship with quiet reverence? The answer to those questions is yes. Because that's really what this psalm deals with, right? The first half of the psalm really deals with with joyful exuberance. And then the last part of the psalm 
Quite a contrast with humble reverence. And so both of these are part of worship, aren't they? We gather and we sing with joy. And then hopefully we, we say, Lord, I'm here to, to hear from you. Lord, what do you want to say to me? And I, I bow at your feet. I'm all ears, Lord. <laughs> Teach me, what do you want to say to me today? So there, there are two invitations to, to worship given in this psalm, and they both include the word come. And the first one is this, come and joyfully sing God's praises. Do you get the impression in reading this psalm that, that maybe we need to be just a little bit stirred in our worship? Because if you look at the first two verses of the psalm, it gives four exhortations to praise God. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Now, if you want a good example of a call to worship, this is about as, as clear as you can get, right? And here's the invitation that we are given to come and, and to worship. The invitation that he gives us here, the psalmist, is, is to verbally express our praise to God. We are called to open our mouths and praise to God. And it's interesting to notice how we are to do that. It's not an exhortation to a quiet mumble. It is an exhortation to a joyful shout. Just look at some of the words with me. The word translated sing for joy in the first line means to give a ringing cry. H.C. Leopold translates it this way, Oh, come, let us give a ringing cry to the Lord. And then the word translated shout joyfully, used twice in the first two verses, refers to a sound, get this, that splits the ears. Now that's interesting, isn't it? A sound that, that splits the ears. I believe the King James Version translates it a joyful noise. And that's what some people say they do when they sing, right? It's just a joy, it's joyful, but it's not the most uh, beautiful uh, sound in the world, but it's worship. Uh, one commentator says, in the Old Testament, temple worship may often have been characterized by a vigor and forcefulness that we are strangers to. <laughs> Maybe us as Lutherans, right? Uh, we're not known for our our exuberant, ringing cry a type of worship, and, and maybe we could learn something about that from uh, this song. Exuberant. I have seen some of you very exuberant at sporting events. And I've often wondered, why is it that we would be so exuberant cheering for our team, and then we come to church and it's like someone put a muzzle on us? I'm not saying you need to do exactly what you do at the ball game, But there is that call for a joyful a shout of praise to the Lord. And we have reasons why we ought to do that. The psalmist gives us a couple of reasons. He says, first of all, that the Lord is the only true God. Verse 3 begins with the word for, which means because. So we are to shout joyfully. Why? For the Lord is a great God. 
and a great king above all gods. Now, some have misunderstood what the psalmist is saying here about other gods, as if there are many gods, and our God just happens to stand at the top of the list. Okay? I don't think that's what he's saying here, because if you look at the very next psalm, Psalm 96, verses 4 and 5 says this, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Then he defines what he means. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In other words, the so-called gods that people worship really aren't gods at all. They are simply idols that people incorrectly assume are gods that can help them, and they cannot. They cannot. So when the psalmist says that the Lord is a great king above all gods, he is saying that he is the only God. There is no one like him. No one can compare with him. That's why we worship him today. There's no one like our God. Another reason we worship the Lord is because He is the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. Look at verse 4. In whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are His also, the sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. So from the depths of the earth to the peaks of the mountains... From the sea to the land, everywhere you look, you see what God has made. There was no big bang. There was, you know, we aren't here by accident. We are here because God has made us and he has made everything that we see. And how did he do it? He simply spoke it into existence. We think we're pretty cool in our culture today, don't we? Oh, all the computer technology, all the things we've made. We don't speak that into existence. We just take that which has been created by God and we put it together. But none of us has the power to speak something into existence. That is God alone. That's why we worship Him. We bow before Him. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So if God created all things, then He has the power to sustain all things and to control all things. And we see an example of this in what He says about the sea. He says, the sea is His, it belongs to Him, for He was the one who made it. And if it belongs to God, it is under His control. And I'll tell you what, that's pretty significant. Because from man's perspective, the sea is something to be feared. It can become so wild and so uncontrollable that the sea in Scripture is a picture of chaos. Uncontrollable water. Remember what happened in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus told his disciples to go to the other, they were going to go to the other side of the lake. And leading the crowd, he, he took, took them in the boat and, and a fierce wind comes and, and, and Jesus is, is sleeping, quite unconcerned about the uncontrollable sea. 
And they're waking him up and they say, don't you care? We are perishing. And so he gets up. He rebukes the wind and said to the sea, be still. What happened? The wind died down. It became perfectly calm. And then he said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it says they became very much afraid. And then they said to one another this, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey Him. Who in the world is this? That that the waves of the ocean would obey His voice. They recognized that there was something about this man. It caused them to be afraid. Oh, my goodness. Look what he did. So the disciples were fearful and doubting. They didn't think that Jesus even cared that they were perishing. But Jesus showed them they had no reason to fear. He was in control of that ocean because he made it. He said, be still. And it became calm. I read a quote this week by Elizabeth Elliot. It says, Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. Isn't that a great quote? Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends upon us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful that everything doesn't depend upon us? And yet sometimes we live that way, right? We are fearful of all kinds of things because we get this strange idea, it all depends upon us. I don't want to live that way. That if everything depends upon me and I've got to fix everything, and if there's trouble, I've got to do something about it, it doesn't depend on me. And I can trust on the one who made the mountains and the oceans and the birds and the trees and everything you see. That's the God that we worship. Have you responded to the invitation to joyfully sing His praises? If you haven't, we got one more song. (laughs) After this, let's raise the roof, huh? Kind of worried about that pillar there, but let's do it. Let's raise the roof. And offer our praise to God. Come and joyfully sing God's praises. But then notice, secondly, quite a contrast. Come and humbly hear God's Word. The theme continues to be the same, that of worship, but the tone of the psalm changes significantly. The psalmist moves from shouting joyfully to listening humbly. And he pictures it in terms of our posture before the Lord. Look at verse 6. Come, here's the invitation again. Come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. What a contrast, huh? Shouting joyfully to bowing down and kneeling before the Lord, our Maker. I love Warren Wiersbe's comment on this. He says, some people who enjoy lifting their hands and shouting, certainly nothing wrong with that, do not enjoy bowing their knees and submitting. Too often Christian praise, in quotes, he says, is nothing but religious entertainment, and it never moves into spiritual nourishment 
in the presence of the Lord. Our singing must give way to silence as we bow before the Lord. And he goes on to say, the Word of God is a vital part of Christian worship. Especially in this age when inventing clever new worship forms is a common practice. And novelty is replacing theology. Hearing and heeding God's Word must be central if our worship, private or corporate, is to be truly Christian. And he says this, he says, It isn't enough for God to hear my voice. I must hear His voice as the Word of God is read, preached, and taught. In our AFLC, we have in our Declaration of Faith this statement, The preaching of the Word of God must be the central part of the service. Why is that? Because when we come, we need to hear from God. That's why we're here today. We want to hear from God. What does God have to say to us? And we humbly bow and say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening, right? That's why Jesus said so many times, He who has an ear, let him hear, right? Let him hear. Have you come to hear? Come to listen? Have you come to this service saying, Lord, I need to hear from you today. Speak to me. If you come with an attitude like that, God will not disappoint you. He will speak to you through His Word. That's His promise. So through His Word, He has something to say to us. And there are two reasons why we ought to listen. The first reason is because God is our shepherd. Verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Why? For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice. We need to hear from the shepherd, right? We need to hear from Jesus. Now, most of us don't have any first-hand experience with sheep. But for those to whom this psalm was written, they understood what the psalmist was saying. Like sheep, they were helpless. They were wayward. But God graciously claimed them as His own, and He provided for all of their needs. So they would be very wise, and we would be very wise to listen to the shepherd, the one who laid down his life for us, the one who provides for us. Why would we not want to hear from Him? Lord, speak, O shepherd of our souls. Now, many believe that this psalm was written for the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a yearly celebration where they built these little, uh, little huts or little tabernacles uh, as a reminder of what God had done for them in those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. How He gave them water from the rock, right? He gave them manna every day. And you know what? One of the, one of the funny things, interesting things for me, He gave them sandals that had a 40-year wear warranty. <laughs> because their clothes, their sandals did not wear out for 
40 years. Imagine that. God graciously provided for them. And Michael Wilcox says the Feast of Tabernacles might have been designed expressly to be, among other things, an annual checkup. He says, will you hear his voice today? Here you are singing and bowing, but are you listening? Some of you go to the doctor for a yearly checkup, huh? Well, this was a spiritual checkup. Are you hearing his voice? Are you listening to what God has to say to you? And I was thinking, Sunday morning, it's our weekly checkup, right? We come and and we hear the Word of God and and God speaks to us and and challenges us where we are with Him. And then we leave. And we don't forget the Word, right? We're we're energized to to get into that Word uh, every day. Will we hear His voice? And what Jesus said, My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So if, you're, if you know Jesus, uh, you're one of His sheep, you know His voice, you're going to follow Him, huh? My sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But he gives us another reason why we ought to humbly hear God's Word. And that's because there are consequences if we refuse to listen, aren't there? Did you learn that when you were a child? You didn't listen to the shepherd of your home, your dad? There could be some consequences, right? I always knew when consequences were coming because my dad went for his belt. He pulled that baby off and... We'd, um, there are times I ran in the closet. I was trying to pull down uh, coats on me to protect me. But I knew, you know, if I didn't listen, I was going to be in, in trouble, right? And there are consequences if we don't hear. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 8. He, he gives an example from Israel's early history. He says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, When your fathers tested me, they tried me, even though they had seen my works. So what he's going back to here is is an event that took place in Exodus chapter 17. The sons of Israel were journeying from the, the land of Egypt. It was about a month or so after they had been redeemed. And there was no water for the people to drink. And so, Exodus 17:2 says, The people quarreled with Moses. They said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. And they're saying, Why did you bring us here? Just to kill us in the desert. So if you're Moses, what do you do? I mean, you've got a couple million people, possibly, that you're supposed to give water to. And he goes to the Lord and says, what am I going to do about this? He says, they're ready to stone me. And so the Lord says, okay, you take that staff that you parted the river Nile with. You go, stand at the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it. And Moses did that. And he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 
Now, if you had seen that, would you think that would make an impression on you? Okay, if, if God can bring water out of a rock, certainly He can provide for all of our needs. Is that what you would have thought? You think that's what you would have thought. <laughs> I got news for you. You might not have thought that because if you're anything like the people of Israel, it didn't impress them. You know why? Because it happened again. Numbers chapter 20. There was no water for the congregation, verse 2. And they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke to Aaron, saying, If only we had perished with our brothers before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness? Why have you made us come out of Egypt? Why, notice that. Why do you make us come out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? Is it not a place of... It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water. Reminds me of a story that Dr. Walter Kaiser told about one of his grandsons. He said they were driving in the car, and it was busy traffic. And his little grandson said to him, he said, Grandpa, I want a bink. Oh, that's a drink, if you were wondering. I want a bink. And so, Dr. Kaiser looks at his wife and gives that, you know, that grandparent, you are the cutest little boy in the whole world, smile. He says, honey, isn't that cute? He wants a bink. He wants a bink. Well, they were stuck in traffic. And that little boy wanted a bink. And he kept saying it over and over and over again. He wanted a bink. And what was cute at first, he said, became very annoying. Very annoying, even though it was his beautiful little grandson. And Dr. Kaiser says, I was wondering if he wanted a new grandpa. Like Israel wanted a new leader. My grandpa won't even give me a bink. What kind of a grandpa do I have? Well, think of Moses. Over and over, it seemed as they were complaining, complaining. So what was their problem? Warren Wiersbe describes their problem. He says, the Jews had seen God's wonderful works in Egypt, especially his defeat of the Egyptian army when he opened and closed the Red Sea, but they refused to trust him for their daily needs. So think of it. God was able to deliver the entire nation out of Egypt, but he couldn't feed them? Really? <laughs> After all what God had done and all that they had seen of his miraculous power, now you think that this God can't even feed you? I hate to tell you this, but sometimes we have the same problem, don't we? We believe that God can save us from our sins. He can bring us to glory, but we can't trust Him to meet our daily needs. What is wrong with us? Huh? What is wrong with us? So we give in to fear. We give in to worry. How am I going to make it through this? God can save you. Can He not provide for you? What does Paul say in Romans 8.32? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, 
How will he not also freely give us all things? It's an argument from the greater to the smaller, right? If God did this, gave his son for you, paid the price for you, saved you, do you think he's not going to provide for you? It's like, think. And yet how many times are we like that? It's like the people of Israel. We've been redeemed, and yet, well, I don't know. Can you really provide for me? Can you really take care of me? Why would we ever doubt? So he gives another example of how the people of Israel refuse to listen to God's word. He refers to the 40 years in verse 10. And that takes us back to what happened at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers chapter 13. You remember this story? One man from each tribe was to go out and examine, spy out the land of Canaan. They were supposed to be leaders of each tribe, but when they came back, there were only two of them who believed that God would give them the land. And you know who they were, Caleb and Joshua. The other ten, remember what they said? Oh, the land, it's good, but guess what? There's giants there. We saw them. There's giants there. The cities, you won't believe it. They're walled. The people looked at us like we're grasshoppers. And that's how we felt among them. Forty days, they had spied out that land. And so God said, okay, For every day you spite out the land, there will be a year of wandering in the wilderness until the older generation who said, you're going to kill our children until they die off. So that's what's being referred to here. And verse 10 says, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. Forty years of wandering. One author says it was the world's longest funeral march. Forty years. And one by one, all those, twenty and older, died in that wilderness, except Caleb and Joshua. Now, lest we think that this applies only to the people of Israel, notice what the writer of Hebrews says. We read from Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. He quotes from this psalm, Psalm 95, at least five times. And over and over again, there's one word that he repeats, the word today. Hebrews 3, 7, 7 and 8. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 15, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Chapter 4 again, we see the word today mentioned again two more times. 
when it comes to our relationship with God, that word today is one of the most important words in Scripture. It expresses a sense of urgency. Today is the day that God wants to work in your life. Not tomorrow. And not yesterday. But today. So don't harden your heart is the command. The consequences are too great. Michael Wilcock gives a great summary statement of the message of this psalm. He says, the whole point of the psalm is that the challenge to hear and to heed spans the centuries. So the psalmist takes us back to the time of Moses when the people of Israel didn't hear and obey God's word. And there today, they hardened their hearts. And then this psalm was written to Israel on some other occasion after the time of of Moses. And the psalmist is saying, God is speaking to you today. And then we've noted already that this is quoted in the book of Hebrews and, and the writer of Hebrews applies it to his audience and says, today, this is your opportunity. And now we're reading this some 2,000 years later after those words were given in the book of Hebrews. And so the, the today spans the centuries of time. And so today is the day That we need to hear God's voice. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not when I get older. But today. Today. If you will hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. So how do we hear God's voice? Does He speak to us out of heaven and booming voice and, you know... Well, some people think he does. And some might even say, I have a word of God, a word from God for you. As if God, you know, just, you know, God told me to tell you. You know, I've tried that before with people. It didn't really work, you know. So I'm saying they're going to move, and I say, well, no, 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 no. God told me to tell you you're supposed to stay here in our church. And they just kind of laugh at me, and, and rightly so. How do we know when we hear from the voice of God? We know it from His Word, right? That's how we can be sure it is God speaking when it comes from His Word. That's what we must stand on. And so when someone tells you, God told me to tell you, you you say to them, why didn't He tell me? Where do you find that in Scripture? We need to stand upon the truth of God. God's Word. Because we desperately need to hear it, don't we? We need to hear from the Lord. Do you remember that ad on TV some years ago? E.F. Hutton? You've got to be old enough to remember that. But it was he was a brokerage firm. And their, their message was, when E.F. Hutton speaks, what? People listen. So there was this elementary class ad, maybe you saw that one, where one student was reciting the alphabet. Guess what? Two letters come together. E and F, right? So she goes A, B, C, D, E, F. Then she stops. 
She says, E.F. Hutton. And the whole class went, oh my God. <laughs> when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. We need to change that, don't we? When God speaks, we need to listen. And that's why we are here today. We come to joyfully sing. But we also come to humbly hear. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. That's what it means to worship. Yes, we joyfully sing praises to God. But we humbly bow at His feet. Say, Lord, speak to me. May I hear from your word today what I need to hear. That's worship. Joyfully singing and humbly hearing from God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder to us today that worship is certainly praising you joyfully, but it is also listening humbly to what you have to say to us. So, Father, help us to leave this place today saying it has been good to be in the presence of God, to worship Him, to hear from Him, and then to leave this place and serve Him joyfully. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake.